If you're a founder, you know that fundraising is a big part of the job. What you might not know is that Carta is there to help. Carta's new fundraising suite provides startups of all stages the best tools and support to easily issue safes, accurately forecast solution, and quickly close funding rounds. Save time, money, and make your next round your best yet. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Welcome to Inc.'s The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnVest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with a top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Alex Von Tobel. And this week, I'm excited for you to meet Daniel Yanis, co-founder and CEO of Checker, a leading HR technology company. Daniel founded Checker in 2014. Today, the company leverages automations and artificial intelligence to process over 30 million background checks annually, resulting in faster, more accurate, and more compliant results. With notable tech customers like Lyft, Instacart, Netflix, and Airbnb, among many others, Checker is currently valued at just about $4.7 billion. Daniel is also a strong advocate for fair chance hiring. He, along with his team, recently started Checker.org, which seeks to empower justice-impacted individuals and educate employers on the benefits of fair chance hiring. Prior to Checker, Daniel was a software engineer and helped develop prototypes of the Mars rover for NASA. Daniel has co-authored three patents, holds a Bachelor of Science degree and a Master's of Science degree in microengineering from EPFL in Switzerland. And with that, let's welcome Daniel. Hi, Daniel. Thrilled to have you today. Let's just start at the beginning. What is Checker in your own words? Let's go back to early days of 2014. What was the aha moment and what is Checker? Yes, hi, I'm excited to, to be here with you, Alexa, as well. Um, so Checker is, we're, we're building what we call the people infrastructure for the future of work. So we're building workforce products. We like to build APIs and building blocks. Um, we did start as a background check company. So our first product was to build the first API to run background checks. And that's what we launched in 2014. And we evolved to now expanding background checks products for every type of company, API and dashboard users. And then uh, over the last few years, we've launched new products to do other types of verification and compliance for businesses. And even beyond that, we're now launching other API products to do worker payments or onboarding as well. That's the type of products we build and offer to our customers. You know, let's just start with the simplest piece of this, which is for those of us who are not familiar on how a background check works, can you walk through the pain points that you started solving back in 2014 when you said, let's just make these easier? What was broken in the industry? Yeah, when we started in 2014, the background check process was very manual, very slow, and very complex. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a regulated industry. It's an important process, part of compliance. And every customer I talked to just hated background checks. They were like, we have to do it, but we hate our vendor. We hate the way it's done. It slows down our hiring process. It's very complex. It's hard to use, to use software, to build a real software company that, that does background checks. Can you talk through a little bit about what, what's so hard about background checks tactically? Like what makes it hard? Yeah. When my co-founder and I, we started, we were engineers. We had zero experience. We didn't even know what was in the background checks. So we're kind of naive about it, which I guess is what you need 
as a founder to even go into into a business. So we thought like, oh, how, how hard can that be, right? It must be some kind of data information that you find and you compare that and you run a background check. It was much more complex than that. We realized that finding the data, like public records, individual records, DMV records, criminal records from the courthouses and the justice system, it's a very fragmented, very complex kind of data supply chain. And so over the years, we had to go really, really deep to collect and aggregate data all over the US and now in other countries to build an automated and accurate and fast background check process. So we've been almost at it for, for 10 years now to optimize that, that automation and, and collection of data. Some of your first customers, some of your earliest customers were the on-demand economy, the Ubers, et cetera, the Instacarts, who are hiring hundreds, if not thousands of people as quickly as they possibly can. How did you first go to market with these types of customers? And did you ever have a sense that that was going to be what just absolutely exploded your business? My co-founder and I were actually working ourselves in a small uh, startup, an on-demand delivery startup. So we, that, and that's why we had the idea, because we saw that in 2013, which was like the very beginning of the on-demand economy back then, Uber, I think, was doing only Uber Black, uh, not ride-sharing. DoorDash was just getting started. It was very, very early days. We were working in that industry and we, we found that was a pain point. And in my network, I had a friend who went from my, the startup I was at to DoorDash and also shared that they had similar pain points. So I started to hear through the few startups in the Bay Area that were starting in the on-demand economy, that was a common kind of bottleneck and pain point for hiring drivers and workers and so so that's where we decided to start it but we got lucky like i had no idea that the on-demand economy will explode and grow so big over the next you know five ten years and so we were able to surf that growth and wave because those were a lot of our early customers uh, companies like insta carts uber doordash uh, and, and many others daniel when did you know that that on-demand economy was exploding. Give us a story or a moment or something that you remember from the rearview mirror of when you said, oh my goodness, this is happening now and rapidly. All of our early customers were on-demand companies. It was like in 2014, 2015, there was a cool VC category, like lots of uh, money was going into those kind of Uber for X startups in every type of job you could do on demand. And we signed a lot of customers and all of them would like grow really quickly and hire tons of people. Many of them died. Now there's only a few large players. But when we saw just like the growth and how customers can go from zero to multi-million dollars in revenue in like a fast time frame, that's not normal. So we saw that, okay, that's a space that's growing really quickly. And we definitely benefited and grew with that, with that industry from 2014 to 2018, 19. Can we talk about how Checker has evolved from background checks and beyond? Mostly background check API products, mostly for gig companies. So that was chapter one. And that, that took us pretty far because we, we wanted to perfect this and be really the best in the world at it and work with the majority of uh, gig companies on demand or gig economy companies. So that was chapter one. Chapter two is when we started to saturate this market, we said, okay, we need to expand from here. You can either expand by launching new products for your existing customers, or you can acquire new types of customers, so new, new industries, new, new size of customers, or you can go international. That's kind of like the three growth factors. I uh, looked at the three, and back then I decided, we decided with our team to go enterprise. 
because we talk to larger companies that were not gig, maybe not even tech, and we're hiring a lot of early workers, and, and they had a lot of pain points as well around background checks. The similar pain points that gig companies would have. So we're like, okay, we can solve the same pain points to other large companies. And so that was our, our, our thesis to go up market into the enterprise. Um, and that failed badly. That the demand was there, but it was way too early for us as a company to be able to meet the needs of those complex non-tech traditional businesses. And so that was, I would say, chapter, chapter two. It was trying to go up market in the enterprise. It was very naive about that as well uh, and underestimated the complexities there. So that was chapter two, and that didn't work well for us. Then the pandemic hit, and that made it even worse for us. But that was a good kind of wake-up moment where we have to change our product and product and company strategy. And so chapter three was like, we actually looked at who are the customers who love Checker and are buying and coming to us. And we had a lot of small businesses signing up themselves and really wanted to use our product, loving it. We had more tech companies coming to us. We had more, plat- more platform companies coming to us and wanting to use our API to build a background check product inside their platform, whether it's an HR tech platform or vertical software. And all of this was going well, but we were not investing much product there. So we pivoted the strategy and went back to our roots, which is more like product-led growth, and focused on those more high-volume customers, more innovative customers. And that was chapter three, and we're still in, in that today, and that, that's working much better for us. What does a fair background check mean to you? Can you educate all of us? And how have you built that fairness mission into the layer of the culture at Checker? Our mission, we defined not when we started the company. Initially, we just wanted to solve that customer problem. But very quickly in the, in the first year we started to operate as a background check company, we started talking to lots of candidates and hear the stories of getting rejected from jobs. And we, we wanted to learn more about the candidates, how our customers are using the data to make hiring decisions. And by interviewing many of them, by even going to, we went to prison visits to understand how people get ready to get back into the workforce and how their past crime or mistake can, can impact their future opportunities. We realized that it was in the past, it was a very binary world. Basically, if people have criminal records that show up on the background check, most employers would reject them and not take even the time to triage who gets a shot or not. And if your background was clear, people would move forward. We believe that we as a background check company and innovator, we have to take ownership for that. And also I met incredible people who are like amazing talent um, who maybe don't have the perfect background, but are extremely motivated to turn their life around and prove everyone that they can get a great job and, and they can do great in, in life. Our point of view was like, it's highly unfair and very binary right now, the way background checks are done. It doesn't have to be this way. The current products back then don't make it easy at all for customers to make that decision. I, I don't blame them. It was like so complex that any reasonable, pragmatic person would just move forward with that with a simpler candidate that doesn't have flags on, on their background. And so we said, okay, we, we can change how things are done. We're going to become the, the, the leading background check company. And so we said, let's bring fairness in the process. Let's use technology to not have a binary choice, but to be truly what it is, which is a spectrum of risk and, and time. And it depends on what jobs people are doing. And we believe by educating customers and showing them the spectrum of, of, of crimes and mistakes that happen, we can actually enable more people to get jobs, businesses to hire more people, and really businesses to decide where they want to be in, the, in that spectrum and, and have less binary decisions. And so that was how we set our mission to build a fair future. 
We started doing it internally at Checker. So we said, we have to do it ourselves first to learn. We partner with nonprofits. We hire people out of prison to help them enter tech and train and, and be successful in tech. We made mistakes. We learned a lot, but it's been a really big success for us. Some of our best people come from these programs. And now we want to bring that to other businesses who many industries are still having a talent shortage and can't hire enough people. So that's that's our mission. We do it internally. We try to sh- share the value and evangelize it to our customers. One of the things I've been dying to ask you, you have a really unique perspective on the hiring market across industries because literally you are a front door to the category. What are the biggest trends? What are your predictions? What are you seeing right now that's interesting? Yeah, no, it, it's really interesting, especially as we started to diversify outside of the gig economy and now work with many, many different industries. You know, we, we work with pretty much every industry. We work with small businesses, SMBs, mid-size, enterprise customers, across retail, hospitality, healthcare, financial services, every, every industry. We can start to see very interesting trends on hiring volume, job applications, industry by industry. It's been a roller coaster since COVID with lots of like stop and start, right? Like huge slowdown in many industries, including gig, including travel, hospitality at the beginning of COVID. Then things reopen and it's like the opposite because industries have like to to like restaff and so like booming of hiring. And then it's been a bit, every year it's been a bit of acceleration, slowdown, acceleration, slowdown. So I would say the job market's been relatively volatile. Yeah, I mean, right now, I would say that the tech market is still relatively slow, you know, since 2021 and, and kind of the reset in tech. Companies are much more disciplined uh, on their spend and their profitability. And so that leads to less less hiring, for example. The healthcare industry is, is less cyclical, hiring a lot, lots of strategies. So I would say that's, that's an opposite compared to tech. But it's very viable industry by industry and, and depending on the season. Can we talk a little bit about how you predict, Daniel, AI to change your category? If you fast forward five years, 10 years, what other predict, What are you seeing happen? How will AI impact Checker and the HR category as a whole, do you think? We've been using AI for, for many years to solve some of the hardest data problems that we have. We've been using you know, more traditional AI you know, classifier and algorithms to organize and make the data more accurate. Like, for example... Doing name matching is very hard. There's like lots of records that have partial information. We want to make sure that the record is matched with the right person, right? That's super important. So we take that accuracy extremely seriously and it's a hard problem to do. And AI can enhance the humans to bring even more accuracy on name matching. That's one use case we've used AI for many years and successfully. Organizing and and standardizing criminal records as well. Criminal records are different in every county, every jurisdiction in the U.S. There's no standards of what type of crime happened. We created a standard classification which allows customers to better understand what type of crime was this and then to have rules against, hey, you know what, this is a marijuana crime and that's not really relevant in, in this state or the job I'm having and that actually can enable more people to be accepted and, and hired, for example. That's another place where AI has, has helped. I think there's been a lot of fear around AI, especially in HR tech, especially saying like, hey, we're going to let AI decide who gets hired or not. And there's risk of bias for that, right? Like we worried the AI recommendation is going to be biased and a black box and drive more discrimination and inequalities in hiring, for example. That's one area where I think there's been more risk and reticence to embrace AI in HR 
But I do think since last year with like the explosion of AI and chat GPT and LLMs, I'm, I'm hearing from our customers and HR leaders that AI can now improve every department in every company. And I think HR leaders are also starting to embrace it. It's going to be our job as, as software companies, AI companies, to make sure that we are fighting that bias and using AI in, in the right way, work very hard to, to reduce and limit that, that bias in the hiring process. How do you think about just AI meets HR and where you're going to see, maybe give me a sense of one thing that really excites you about what you think is going to happen and maybe one thing that really worries you that's not just the bias piece. HR and, and recruiting and talent is, is very hard. Um, it, it's a very hard function. I have a lot of respect and empathy and, and, and I'm humbled uh, when I talk to HR leaders because it is hard. Like you're, you're, you know, you're asked to, to hire and manage the talent of a company, which is like a company is a group of people, right? Like the, the people is the most important. That's what deliver the, the business results and the customer results and everything. And it's an art and a science and doing it in a data-driven way is quite hard because humans are complex people and, and, and creatures. And so, so I think it's, it's just very hard. I'm excited. I think the new technology in AI will help HR leaders and people leaders be more data-driven and they, you know, create better cultures, better performance for the company through the people that they hire and they manage. And I think AI can, can help there. Like, on the specific by specific cases, like AI can help detect patterns and quality in the interview process. You can ask AI, hey, find bias in the process. Like who are the interviewers who maybe are more biased based on gender or, or race or things in the interview process? You can point, I think, AI at specific problems in the business and have it kind of as a, as a co-pilot, as someone helping you make, it, make the process better, make the training better. So I'm quite excited. I think we can use AI in many, many different places. At Checker, we're, we're experimenting on how to use it in our process to help our customers set up their background check rules, better understand the information or the story of a person, better communicate with the candidates. I think uh, AI can just help different parts of the process. So I'm pretty excited about the opportunities. I think uh, we're going to see a lot of innovation in, in HR tech and AI in the, next, in the next year or two. Where am I worried? I'm worried about use cases where AI is going to use behind the scenes without transparency like, for example, on resume filtering. It is, you know, most people don't talk about it, but it is largely used. There's no easy answer. You know, big companies get tens of thousands of resumes and they don't have either, enough eyeballs to look at everyone. It's kind of done in a corner and not fully acknowledged. So I'm worried about AI being used not in a transparent way and, and the potential you know, negative consequences that that can bring. I think if it's done openly and transparently, and sure, people are going to make mistakes, but at least people will learn and, and get better because they're upfront about it. Um, I think then, then it's, it's a better use of AI and, and it will get to good outcomes over time. And we'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on, for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carta knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite, providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suite helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. 
That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. I want to transition to you, Daniel. First, you grew up in France. If you think about something your parents did that really helped make you the way you are, that you attribute to your success, what is it? My parents are a lot of my inspiration. My parents are immigrants. I was born in France, but my parents immigrated to France from Romania and Syria in the 80s, which were non-democratic, poor countries, dictatorship, like Romania was a, with, a, with Ceausescu, a dictator. Um, it, was, it was really quite bad. And so they immigrated to France for a better life for, for themselves, their family, their kids. And they worked extremely hard um, to kind of make it in France from, from zero and, and having no, no money. And, and, and so for me, they're my inspiration of, of grit, of working hard, of integrating in another country and being grateful for the country you're in. And so, yeah, I really look up to, to my parents. And I think I started doing my own small business and, and working myself as a teenager to make some money and, and to do things and learn things. So I think I, I definitely got that from them. And I'm grateful to them, I think. Now, I know I'm a, I'm a parent. We just had a, our son got, just got to one year old. And uh, it's fantastic. And, uh, you know, as as a parent, you for your children, you want to give them love and, and support, and but also challenge them a little bit and give some structure. And I think my, my parents did, did some of both, and that definitely I'm fortunate and, and lucky I, I had them do that. I want to talk a little bit about you and your co-founder, Jonathan, were colleagues before starting Checker. What were your tips on making a co-founder relationship work? What have you learned today? Yeah, so we joke a lot that Jonathan and I, it's like, it's like a wedding. It's like a marriage. Uh, it, it's truly true. Um, you know, you're committing to working with this person through challenges and successes and very hard times for decades plus. So it's, it's a very important relationship. We're lucky that we were friends before, really good friends, best friends for many years before and worked together on, in two different companies. So we already had a really good level of trust that has helped us. And I'm really happy that almost 10 years in, we're still uh, great friends and, uh, and still working together. How have you evolved most as a leader? What was the thing that maybe surprised you that you had to get better at or the thing that you feel like you, you needed to get better to evolve to make the company successful? When I started Checker, I've never managed anyone before. I was an individual engineer. So that's definitely been a shock going from being an engineer to managing, hiring, teams and leaders and, and leading them. Lots of trial and error. For me, it's been like I'm a, I'm kind of a opinionated, strong, you know, type A person. I like control. I like to make decisions. I like to move fast. And so I've had to learn a lot around emotional intelligence, empathy, putting myself in others people's shoes, and how do I motivate teams to work on things? Because, you know, I don't believe fear and and control is like the best way. I mean, some leaders do that, but I think that the best leader is people who hire great people and then motivate them and inspire them and are here to challenge them and support them. And that's how you build a, a team that continues and, and does it because they're excited and enjoying, they're enjoying what they're doing in their job. I'm still uh, early in that journey. I still have so much to learn and, and to become a better manager, a better leader. But uh, yeah, that's been... I've been spending a lot of time on that, but it's, it's been great. It's, it's helped me also outside of work in my personal life, with my mental health, with my family, my friends. How do you manage the stress? I think managing stress is a really important skill set of founders, CEOs. 
how do you manage yours? So first, like to have a life outside of work is important. Um, so, you know, to spend time with friends, family, physical exercise, really important as well to, to balance like the mental health with the physical health. They are linked. So like working out in the morning, running in the weekend, having hobbies and other things to do, I think really helps the brain take a break because otherwise you're always in go, go, go mode and obsessing over the business. Starting to share more with my leadership team and really building my leadership team as a, as a true team with camaraderie, with like building connection and just starting to have fun at work as well. If you can like not take yourself too seriously, there's always problems. There's always the sky is falling in a startup. There's always, you never know what's going to come tomorrow. But after a few years, you know, you've kind of start seeing it a few times. And if you can laugh about it instead of cry about it as a team, that just makes the working relationships a bit lighter and, and a bit more fun and also builds more trust. So trying to have fun at work and laugh and crack some jokes, it, it's helpful, especially for more like driven, intense CEOs like me who, who can be more scary sometimes. Last question. What's one thing you hold as sacred that you attribute to the success of being uh, where you are today? One thing that's been also part of my journey and evolution is, I mean, many founders, they're very detail-oriented and driving the business and, and very involved, right? And I think that's a good thing. But as you scale, you have that balance of like, okay, you need to delegate and empower your leaders and, and kind of step back sometimes so that you make room for others to become the experts and be close to the problem. And I think that that's a tough balance. And I, I think I, I overcorrected for a few years where I kind of like went more hands up in many areas to, to help empower that leader. My philosophy is, I think, for me and, and, and maybe other founders, it's very important to stay hands on and really close to the customer, really close to the product. I mean, those are like two very important things that create most of the value in the company and not kind of delegate too much and, and continue to, to drive and push and be involved in the details Build that trust with the leader so that you don't have to always be in the weeds and, and deep, but continue that push and high expectation that the founder has. And, and to me, it was more like I had to kind of feel like I was censoring myself. And now I, I'm feeling like I can be myself again and do what I enjoy and love and bring my passion and my drive while being respectful and collaborating with, with the org and, and the leaders. It's a hard balance to find, but to me, that's important for the founders to stay on it. Otherwise, I, I have a lot of founder friends who eventually your job becomes like administrative and you don't enjoy it as much as, as you used to. So I think that's, that's one thing that's important to me is like stay in the game, stay deep with the customers, with the product and do some of that key work with the team collaboratively. That's, I think that's the most fun part of, of working in a, in a startup. I'm going to move to the quick fire round. I'm going to ask you a question. First thing that comes to mind, tell me what you think. What is your favorite question to ask people in an interview? to better understand if you want to work with them? My favorite question is to ask them their about their motivation. I, I ask them, what do they want to do in life? What motivates them in a role? Which is a very open question, but I think it's very telling on what clicks for that person and what they're driven by. Yeah, I spend a lot of time on that question because then, you know, hopefully I can align people's own motivations with what the company can, can do for them. But we have to be aligned on, on, on those things. What would you say is a quote that you've heard or that you, a mantra, something that you swear by? And it can be anything, something that goes through your head, something you think about a lot. What is it for you? A recent one is uh, speed is a differentiator. 
What is a book that you've read that you really recommend that's had a major impact on your ability to be successful? And it can be any book, a business book, a personal book, anything. I think for me, like the most important was like learning those management basics again. So it's books like the Patrick Leoncini books, like Five Dysfunction of a Team of the Advantage, High Output Management. Again, it's like not reinventing the wheel, but it's understanding how teams and people get organized and managed. I have many other like strategy and product books, like I think, you know, Zero to One or, or Amp It Up from Frank Slootman. I think those are great books too. But yeah, for me, the most helpful was just having a quick crash course on how to manage people and, and organize the company. What is your biggest pinch me moment to date at Checker where you kind of came home and said, I can't believe that this just happened. This amazing thing happened. What, what happened? What was it? Amazing moment. I mean, I think for me, it's, uh, it's all about the people, that feeling when you hire great new leaders, new person, exceed expectations on, uh, really quickly and everything that maybe was hard before on that department or in that team becomes easier because you've hired the right leader who takes ownership and who has an even higher bar than I have for what, what to expect and, and how to run that team. So that is such a great moment when it starts to click and you build trust with a, with a new leader you hired on the team. Last category, last question. If there's one area of innovation that's not AI that you're currently interested in, you're learning about, or just something that's really intriguing to you, what is it? To me, I'm always, always super excited about, I mean, B2B software, enterprise software. So I'm a big API fan. I'm curious about API and embeddable software is going to evolve. Because there's that problem in, in, in B2B software is like you have the big cloud companies, right? Like the big ERP, like SAP, Oracle, or Workday. And they become clunkier and clunkier because you have all of this configuration, but it becomes so big, Salesforce, like that it, the user experience breaks. It's kind of in the pattern of like the cloud 1.0 companies. So I'm curious of how do we use modular software like APIs and maybe like no-code, low-code workflows to organize good software for companies that are more and more complex. So I love that space. And I don't think we have figured it out yet on like the next generation of enterprise or B2B software. But I'm very excited about the innovation, innovation happening there. And AI might be one part of it. I love that, Daniel. Well, Daniel, first of all, thank you so much for joining us today. Everybody out there, if you want to learn more and are not already using Checker, please head to checker.com. And you can join us next week for Inc. the Founders Project with Alex Fontobel. Daniel, we're rooting for you. Congrats on everything you've accomplished. And I'm so excited to hear you have a one-year-old. That's wonderful. Sincerely, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Alexa. That was super fun. 